Welcome to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski of Condo Vultures. Every Wednesday we get together, um, current and former journalists, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred over the course of the last week. And why do we do it? Well, we do it for you, the listener, to try to help you understand some of the stories that might be impacting the local economy as well as the South Florida real estate markets um, going forward. So who do I have this week? Well, I have one of our regulars. That's John Fackler. John used to write over at the South Florida Business Journal, uh, where he covered white-collar crime and publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now, he has his own public relations and, and marketing and consulting company. What's going on, Mr. Fackler? Not too much. What's going on, Peter? Not too much. You were talking about trying to get vaccinated. Any um, update on that? No. Um, you know, it's typical. They um, uh, apparently, I don't know how many of the states are doing this, but they lowered the age to 55 uh, and over, so I qualified barely to 55. Um, whoa, but, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying because it's 55, you barely qualify? Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Remember, we're looking for straight they've got They've got like 10 conditions you have to have. Okay. And um, unfortunately, as unhealthy as I am, I don't qualify because none of those conditions do I have. So I'm screwed again. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And who else do we have as one of our regular journalists? That's um, Jean Grush. Jean used to be a journalist for north of 25 years, mostly in the state of Florida, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. We wrote about banking and financial-related issues, business-related issues. Right now, he has his own publications marketing firm called Grush Communication. Mr. Grush, how's it going? Peter, how's it going? Great to be back on your show, always. You know, you know, Jean, every time I see your posts on Facebook and social media, um, I always see you diving. It looks like you got you did some great diving this uh, past week. And the reason I'm mentioning that is the rest of the country is on lockdown because of the winter storms. And here you are. I'm not even sure you had a wetsuit on, and you went you went diving right off the coast of South Florida. I, I did have a wetsuit, and I'll tell you what, I'm really excited because this weekend I'm going shark diving near Jupiter. Uh, at this time of year, the lemon sharks uh, congregate in that area uh, to um, reproduce and we're going to try to see some lemon sharks this weekend. Nice. So you're a bit of a voyeur. <laughs> sort of. You could say that. <laughs> Fantastic. And who's our rotating journalist this week? Well, it's a gentleman I used to work for. It's a gentleman who's been in the journalism industry for north of 40 years. Right now, he's a financial writer with the South Florida Sun Sentinel. That is David Lyons. Mr. Lyons, how's it going? Things are terrific. Uh, thanks very much for having me back. Good to be we, here. We, we love you. We always get comments uh, every time you're on uh, with some of the insight that you share with us. So it's always fantastic. David, you were talking about going for a vaccine. Any any updates on um, on that um, process? I'm still on a couple of appointment lists. So. Oh, okay. Here, here in Broward County and uh, also with a local hospital, but I haven't heard anything back yet. So. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Well, um, guys, uh, let, let's go ahead and get started, and I want to remind the audience, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about six articles, uh, basically, that have been published within the last week that uh, could have some impact on so South Florida real estate uh, market as well as the economy. Then I'm going to ask, uh, we'll have another segment where I ask all of the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about something coming down the pike that uh, you, the listener, might want to keep your eyes on uh, out for. And then finally, we'll, um, we'll end the podcast with a uh, comment section. So if you, the listener, if you want to uh, ask a question, you want to compliment, you want to criticize, uh, you just want to uh, make some statements, we'd love to hear from you. All the comments we receive, we go ahead and reread them during the reporter's roundtable. To send an email, send it to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. And again, uh, guys, we're looking for straight talk and salty language is permissible. So let's go ahead. We'll start off with the vaccine, um, excuse me, with the COVID numbers in the state of Florida. And I should tell you, uh, uh, the United States just surpassed 500,000 dead. Uh, in the U.S. So President Biden and uh, uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, they're going to be having some sort of memorial service. I think it's uh, this evening sort of recognize that that unfortunate milestone that we've just had. So in the state of Florida, according to the Florida Department of Health, this is the COVID-19 dashboard. These numbers are updated daily. Um, they're the official numbers. 
agree with them, disagree with them, whatever the case may be, these will be the official numbers. I'm pulling these numbers as of the 22nd of February. We have um, just under 1.9 million confirmed cases in the state of Florida with 702,365 cases in South Florida, which is comprised of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. South Florida is going to represent about 37.5% of all confirmed cases in the state of Florida. Now, in terms of in South Florida, how is it breaking down? Miami-Dade County has 398,300 cases. Broward County has uh, 188,200 cases, and Palm Beach County has 115,900 cases. On the death count, unfortunately, the state of Florida, it just surpassed 30,000 dead, 30,000 dead. Uh, the official or the exact number is 30,065 dead. In South Florida, we unfortunately also passed the milestone. We now have over 10,000 dead. We have 10,075 who've died with 5,300 in Miami-Dade, 2,350 in Broward, and 2,412 up in Palm Beach County. Um, overall, the number of people who died in South Florida from COVID, according to the state numbers, represents about 33.6%. Now, if there is any positive news, last week, South Florida represented 33.9% of the deaths. This week, it's 33.6% of the deaths. Looking at the numbers, everything seems to be solid with one exception. Broward County seems to have a slight uptick in the number of confirmed cases. That could be for a whole variety of reasons, but uh, that's the only thing I noticed that's um, you know, that is different uh, other than the milestone. So that being said, uh, anybody want to mention anything about COVID, talk about your experience, what you're seeing, uh, what you're hearing, or just, uh, you know, uh, provide a comment? Well, the gov our governor has made sure that uh, businesses stay open regardless of uh, the circumstances. So maybe that explains why our unemployment rate is down and businesses down this way are thriving and, uh, People who come down here from up north, like New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, can't believe that people are eating in restaurants and uh, frolicking on the beach and doing a variety of other things. Well, back home in the cold, everybody's locked down. So maybe not to the extent that they were, but uh, uh, there's a big difference between uh, Florida and the Northeast and the Midwest in terms of uh, economic uh, largesse, um, you know, because there's uh, you know, more <clears throat> per capita, uh, more businesses that are open down here than there are up north. So, um, but uh, I don't know. It's it's a conundrum because you know California has had lockdowns, uh, but you know their their case rates. Uh, you know, while they obviously have a much bigger population than we do, their case rates are are <clears throat> more on more or less on the level of uh, of ours and. Um, and, you know, I really don't think all that much of the governor's approach to, um, you know, handling COVID here <clears throat> seems to be a political uh, uh, event du jour, uh, depending on, uh, you know, what he feels is best uh, for opening up another vaccination site, like up in Central Florida near a very <laughs> high-income uh, zip code area uh, last week. And that's... It just doesn't feel like there's a very cogent uh, system in place, <clears throat> even though, you know, people above 65 uh, and first responders are the main recipients right now. But it's uh, the distribution system still has a lot of work uh, that has to be done. So uh, I was well, chatting with a friend uh, this morning who uh, loves to go out to eat, and uh, he was telling me that he was trying to make reservations for restaurants this past weekend, and restaurants are fully booked. Um, what? So people, yeah, people are acting like, uh, you know, there's no yeah. more COVID. So, and you know, what's interesting too is uh, there was a conference call today on the Royal Caribbean earnings. Um, and apparently the CEO of Royal Caribbean was saying that um, much to their surprise, people 65 and older are the ones that are booking cruises now uh, for later this summer. So, I mean, I think there seems to be, you know, an attitude or a sense of, you know, that that like we're at the end of the tunnel. And I'm 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 wonder if that's a little bit premature, you know. But people are acting like there's no more COVID, um, at least in in some of the circles, uh, you know. That, that we move. Well, in. Peter, Peter would have some uh, personal insight into that since he went out to happy hour this Friday without me. Uh, why don't you tell us about that, Peter? <laughs> first and foremost, I did not go out the happy hour. I was I was trying to get some exercise, so I was walking back from the office. 
And while I was walking back from the office, I stopped off at a little pub called the Old Dubliner on the north side of Miami-Dade County Courthouse. Anybody who doesn't know the Dade County Courthouse, David, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that where Jim Morrison, the former lead singer of The Doors, was convicted for uh, indecent exposure in Miami back in the late 60s, early 70s? Uh, probably. I wasn't here at the time, but I do have the space. <laughs> I was here for a lot of things, but I don't think I was here for that one. But, but, uh, but you, but the, you were in court. Yeah. The, the Dade County Courthouse, I think, was probably still prosecuting criminal cases or the scene of criminal cases because I don't think the Metro, I'm not sure if the Metro Justice Building out near Jackson Hospital was built back then or not, but uh, it's it's possible. Kind of close, it's a close call in my mind, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, um, uh, so I was at a pub that opened up across the street and um, a friend of mine said, hey, I haven't seen you forever, blah, 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 do you want to grab a drink? And I was a little resistant but I, I walked past it and I saw that they had reclaimed parking spaces. Everything was partitioned off and there were outdoor picnic tables. And it was a little bit breezy and there was virtually nobody in the place. So I was there, yes, I was out in the open. I had my mask on except when I was kicking back some of the beers. Um, uh, was it a mistake? Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm gonna find out seven to 10 days from now because I, <laughs> I, I did it on Friday. So far, so good, but um, you know, uh, Just make nothing sure you too don't crazy. Make sure you don't stop by my place until you get tested. <laughs> Will do. Says the man who is delivery food. <laughs> do you wash those bags? <laughs> oh yeah, I wash everything. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So so yes, yes, I did have that. That was the first time I've actually tried to break out uh, somewhat. Wasn't really that crazy, but yeah, it was probably more so than I've done in uh, in roughly a year or so. In, in, in roughly a year. So, um, yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll sort of see how it goes on. Anybody want to mention anything about uh, COVID before we get into the numbers? No. Okay. So let's go ahead, and we're going to start off with John Fackler. John, you apparently are in a great mood today, so let's go right to you and see what you <laughs> got to say. Uh, this story is going to come out of CNBC. Headline, homeowners can now defer mortgage payments for an extra six months. And here's how to tell if you're covered. That's the headline of the CNBC piece. Let me go ahead and read uh, some of the key points that are coming. Oh, this one doesn't have key points. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, read the first couple graphs of this story. President Joe Biden directed federal housing regulators to expend, extend mortgage forbearance programs for an additional six months and prolong foreclosure relief programs on Tuesday in a move that will cover an estimated 70% of mortgages for single-family homes in the United States. As the latest COVID-19 relief package continues to make its way through the congressional legislative process, Biden ordered the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Department of Agriculture to extend their foreclosure moratoriums and forbearance programs. Specifically, the regulators are set to extend the ban on foreclosures through June of 2021. Point number two, allow homeowners to enroll mortgage payment forbearance programs through June of 2021. And point number three, extend forbearance programs for an additional six months for those who already entered a mortgage payment program before June of 2020. Homeowners will need to request an extension every three months. What say you, Mr. Fackler? Um, is this uh, simply kicking the can down the street? Or is this uh, necessary uh, uh, for people to stay in their homes while we're still trying to get everybody inoculated here in the United States? Yeah, well, it's, it's short-term relief. I mean, I guess maybe short-term and maybe mid-term. But here's the thing I don't think people are thinking about. Um, since the uh, the 08 recession, um, when I got jammed up with a forbearance, I'll never forget, is that you know, people are still responsible uh, for these payments, whether they put them on the back of the mortgage or, you know, six months out or a year out. And um, right now, unlike the 08 recession, um, you know, there was a lot of job loss, obviously, but the jobs now may not come back. So how are people going to afford these mortgages um, if they don't have a job? And uh, I, I, I just see this as a short-term relief, and it's a long-term, we still have a, a huge issue where people who don't have jobs will not be able to pay for their mortgages. And, and John, before um, uh, I want to go to John for his comments, but John, before we do that, um, just looking back a decade ago or so, when you said you, you had a, forbear yeah. a forbearance uh, program going on, how complicated, right. how complicated was it and how quickly did the, did the tab run up uh, while you were taking advantage of a program that was in place? 
I remember that very clearly. It ran up very quickly, you know, um, to the point where you're so jammed up, you're overwhelmed, and you're almost glad to give the give the uh, the mortgage give the uh, unit back to the bank. I mean, just to have relief. So, you know, just anybody who went through that back then in 08, in that period, um, you know, I think they're going to have memories of that. Maybe not the same people. Well, you know, these won't be the same people, but um, I, I I don't know. I just don't see this as um, I mean, it's a great short-term fix, obviously some relief. People won't get thrown out into the streets. And um, and it's great that, you know, Biden took this initiative uh, before the stimulus plan came through. Um, but he was able, you know, he's obviously very serious about, you know, bringing relief uh, to people. But I'm just saying, you know, it, it, to me it's just it, it, there's, there's a filter here that you have to go through um, before you start to see any real benefits financially personal uh, financial benefits for homeowners. Then also, by the way, you know, that's a, you know, an issue. I think Miami is going to, is, is breathing a sigh of relief, obviously, for this. But I'm just very curious um, uh, from the real estate experts what they think this is long-term for Miami. No, 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 John, um, I'm going to ask you to comment, but let me read one quick uh, uh, item from the story. It says about 2.7 million homeowners are currently in some type of forbearance plan, according to the latest estimate from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Of those, a majority are mortgages held by private lending services as opposed to federal loans. This program uh, primarily uh, uh, is focused on federal loan programs rather than private um, uh, uh, loan loan programs. So, what can you do? Well, you know, (laughs) one consolation is that is that property values have been skyrocketing. So. You know, if if at the end of this you can't pay your mortgage, um, you know, I mean, you the alternative is selling your house. And if property values keep rising the way they have, um, you, you may you may have some equity uh, uh, that would enable you to move to you know a rental or or move somewhere else. You know, so. I mean that you know that 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 wasn't the case during the last recession when property values were collapsing, and um, you know so you know that's a small consolation. But but the other the other thing too is you know the unintended consequences of of government intervention in in the you know essentially the private market. And so you know when you talk about kicking the can down the road, I mean. You know that that uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this un- unfolds because I think there are some things that that we don't even realize now the consequences of, um, and you know we're all banking on everybody getting their jobs back and property values uh, still rising. Um, so better cross our fingers because um, you know that that c- it could be could be really even tougher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great point, uh, John. We're gonna we're gonna stick with you for story number two. Story number two is coming out of Bloomberg. Here's the headline: Fed sounds alarm on commercial real estate and business bankruptcies. Fed sounds alarm on commercial real estate and business bankruptcies. Um, let me give you the first couple of graphs. The Federal Reserve warned of significant risks of business bankruptcies and steep drops in commercial real estate prices in a report published on Friday. Businesses, and this is quotes, business leverage now stands their historical highs, the central bank said in a semi-annual monetary policy report to Congress. Insolvency risks at small and medium-sized firms, as well as some large firms, remain considerable, in part encouraged by government and Fed programs. Businesses have taken on more debt over the past year as they struggle to deal with the economic and financial fallout from the COVID-19, including, uh, in some cases, forced shutdowns. Um, boy, uh <laughs> I just have all the good news stories today, John, don't I? You sure do. <laughs> well, you know, commercial real estate is very, very sensitive to interest rates um, because property values, um, you know, depend on, on uh, you know, properties are evaluated by by a number of things, including uh, tenant, uh, tenant rent, but also interest rates. So, um, you know, we've seen the 10-year treasury uh uh, yields rise significantly in just the last, you know, week or two. I mean, that's going to have an impact on the on on commercial property values. And uh, right now, you know, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of investors uh, were very aggressive in purchasing uh, commercial real estate uh, uh, to the, leading to the uh, pandemic. And 
you know, now you've got a bunch of tenants who can't pay their rents and you've got interest rates rising. Uh, and, you know, those commercial real estate uh, investors are going to could be taking it on the chin, you know, and uh, of course that, you know, you know who uh, is uh, tied intimately to that are all the banks, the commercial banks that have lent um, money for commercial real estates. And particularly in Florida, where a lot of uh, community banks, uh, you know, that's their business is commercial real estate lending. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of concerns there. David, let me, let me read a graph and then I'll ask you to uh, comment. It says commercial real estate might be hit by a double whammy after the pandemic. Some economists say an increase in people working from home could result in less demand for office space while stepped up online purchases could force more shutdowns of brick and mortar retailers and additional vacancies at the shopping center. Boy, <laughs> now I see where the feds are worried. What say you, David? Well, it's true. I mean, we've already seen a number of shopping centers being converted into apartment complexes or some sort of a mixed-use scheme where the shopping mall element of it is going by the boards. Uh, that's been going on for the better part of the year and beyond. Um, and also, um, you know, we're seeing a number of developers um, scaling back on their on the office components of the of their projects. Case in point is up this way in Pompano Beach or the old uh, still running Isle Casino and Racetrack. They've got a massive redevelopment <clears throat> mixed use plan um, uh, going between um, this partnership between Caesars <clears throat> and the uh, and the Baltimore based uh, developer that um, that operates uh, gambling entertainment centers. So they dialed back the office component. Um, uh, by several hundred thousand square feet, and, and they're trying to uh, promote an industrial project that might have uh, a Walmart or Amazon-style fulfillment center or distribution center in the northeast corner, south of Atlantic Boulevard in Pompano Beach, west of I-95, and the uh, Florida East Coast, or the CSX railway line. So that, you know, it's a work in progress, but it's just um, a little bit of the anecdotal evidence that shows that um, developers aren't sure about the future of office, um, you know, in the South Florida marketplace. And of course, you know, we've seen a number of projects uh, spring up, and uh, there are a lot of uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, empty square footage. And that very um, uh, report regarding um, you know people not going back to their offices, uh, I think it's true across the board. I know our pay, you know, we haven't been in our offices uh, since April, and there's no date in sight for all of us to return to the newsroom uh, and leaving our home offices behind. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, it's a conundrum for, you know, a lot of uh, commercial landlords. There, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, commercial bankruptcies, uh, another, you know, anecdotal, Nugget here in our southern district of Florida, which covers from Key West up to Fort Pierce. Uh, <clears throat> commercial bankruptcies finally caught up <clears throat> with uh, 2019 and the year 2020. They were trailing uh, for most of the year, and then all of a sudden, I think after a lot of the PPP loans and federal assistance uh, uh, expired and wore off, <clears throat> um, uh, you could see at the end of uh, toward the latter part of the third quarter and, and fourth and throughout the fourth quarter of 2020 that uh, uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcies were starting to pick up again, <clears throat> and so were Chapter 7s. So by the time the year was over, um, 2020 uh, had more bankruptcies than in 2019, uh, not by much, but 233 to 212, and then Chapter 7s, which also includes some personal bankruptcies. Uh, um, it was uh, 8,900 and change against 8,300 in 2019. So uh, I think, you know, once a lot of that federal assistance wore off, um, you know, a lot of people ended up uh, going bank <coughs> going into bankruptcy court, either to reorganize or just liquidate their assets and move on. So um, that trend is not exactly continuing uh, uh, into this year yet, but uh, the year is young, so we'll have to see what happens. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Um, story number three. Uh, David, we're going to go to you. Why? Because you wrote the story. It's coming out of the Sun, South Florida Sun Sentinel. It was just posted, and I'm seeing it and hearing it everywhere. I had on uh, WLRN 
which is a local NPR affiliate, and they were really one of the biggest stories of the day. So here's the headline, and here was the first graph or two. And then, David, if you could just provide some uh, insight and overview and any kind of, um, you know, um, guidance, as well. So headline, as Canadian snowbirds wrap up Florida trips, they now face tighter border rules back home. Canadian snowbirds are now visiting uh, South Florida will face Excuse me, Canadian snowbirds who are now visiting South Florida will face new layers of COVID-19 rules upon returning home. Effective Monday, those who fly back to Canada will have to stay in a government-approved hotel at their expense for three days to await the results of newly required COVID-19 tests. Wow, David, um, uh, how did you find out about it, and uh, what is that going to do to uh, tourism in the state of Florida, especially from the the the, the, the important, ever important Canadian visitor? Well, I, as the general counsel from Miami told me in that story <clears throat> farther down in the narrative, uh, nobody really knows how many uh, Canadians are, you know, came here this year. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, from an anecdotal standpoint, uh, it's, it's in what you don't see or hear, and that's uh, you don't hear very much French um, being spoken in the streets of uh, Hallandale and Hollywood um, and other landing spots for people from Quebec. And uh, you also don't see too many um, Canadian license plates on the roadways around South Florida. Um, and, you know, people verify that. I, I mean, just anecdotally, a lot of businesses say, you know, whether it's a law firm that's helping somebody cut a real estate deal or, or just a merchant uh, in restaurants uh, uh, that, that normally serve Canadians during the wintertime, uh, they're just not here. Um, you know, they're, they're just not seeing the numbers. Some people are here. Some flew in to get their vaccine. Uh, they can do that despite the prohibition raised by the governor because uh, if you can present <clears throat> property ownership papers, uh, you can come in and sh and, uh, and get a shot in Florida. And so there are a number of folks who did uh, fly down here. But it's a, it's a curious um, situation up there. I mean, Canada obviously has a much bigger geographic space in the United States does, but it also has a much smaller population. They've got a population of about 38 million, which is just short of what California is. And the figures that I found, they had through mid last week, they had 834,000 cases uh, since last March and 21,000 deaths. But uh, <clears throat> naturally, you know, they have wide open spaces. Uh, their population is concentrated in places like Montreal, Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver. And um, but there's you know a lot of in and out. You know, so they've got a, a massive uh, border with the United States uh, with about 100 and some odd entry points, and uh, international airports where people come from Asia and Europe and and, uh, and come down this way. And so there's been a lot of pressure, a lot of political pressure <clears throat> brought to bear to, uh, you know, stop, and not only stop the um, original virus uh, that hit the country, but also the, vari the variants uh, that they're fearful are going to come in from overseas. <clears throat> so they've, you know, over time, the uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has uh, uh, put together a rather elaborate scheme of, uh, you know, trying to satisfy the discontented people that, you know, the virus is still there, the concerns are still there. And uh, so, there, you know, you have a combination of uh, lockdown and economic restrictions uh, that are similar to what we have, but, I, but per capita, you know, perhaps not as much. Uh, still in all, it's a, it's a rather, you know, the economy uh, on both sides of the border is heavily reliant on that two-way traffic. So, um, you know, people... I think when the pandemic first broke out last March, uh, hundreds of thousands of Canadians uh, boarded aircraft to go back home uh, you know, before they had to be subjected to uh, lockdowns uh, or various other things. But there are a number of people who stayed here. And then as uh, you know, the border has been closed between technically closed to non-essential travel, and the government's trying to use a lot of moral suasion to, uh, you know, to keep people at home. And of course, during the wintertime, that's a little hard to do when you're living in sub-zero weather and you're used to coming to sunny South Florida for an extended vacation. So uh, there has been travel, but um, you know, they're, they've, you know, I think overall this act has been to uh, uh, keep people at home. And you know, if, if you decide to leave, um, you're going to have to undergo this rather elaborate and intricate uh, system of uh, 
tests and quarantines to make sure that you're not going to spread the virus uh, back home. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Mr. Fackler, I want to go to you for some comments, but let me just read a quote out of David's story. This comes from Susan Harper. She's a Consul General of Canada uh, here in Miami. Quote is, Florida realtors tell us Canadians are the biggest source of residential real estate buyers. She said, this year is very tough. It's tough on uh, Canadians who own or traditionally rent to snowbirds. Um, John, David mentioned Hollywood, Hellendale Beach, which is in Southeast Broward County, a big contingent of uh, and diaspora, if you will, of Canadians who were all there. If you wander around there, like you said, you're not seeing the license plates anymore. What impact is, do you think this is going to have, John, uh, on Broward County and, uh, you know, it's tax revenue as well as property taxes as well as everything else. What say you, Mr. Packer? Well, listen, there's a number of different uh, components here that are affected. Um, you know, one of the striking things I, I saw in the story was that um, there's, a, there's a time component here where they have to come back, I believe, by next Monday. Is that the um, – not exactly the, sure. Today. That it was supposed to be today. Yeah, if they came – I was supposed to be today. Yeah, I mean, if they didn't if they didn't go back, uh, say last week or or just before today, they'd have to start going through uh, this uh, elaborate system of um, wow. precautions. Yeah. So you know, to me, the first thing that struck me was the revenue loss. I mean, Canadians generally stay at least, you know, getting close to the summer uh, when it's about to warm up. They go back. So you look at it now. If they're literally have to leave now, of a couple of months of revenue loss which, you know, South Florida is dependent on that, um, particularly in the Hallandale, Hollywood area. And um, I think it's, you know, I mean, there was already an issue because of COVID and the confusion. Should people come in? Should they not? Uh, there was also a component in David's story about people coming here to get shots for the vaccine. So it, it sounds like there's a, it's a whirlwind of issues, uh, several different components that are really going to hurt uh, revenue uh, here in South Florida uh, with the Canadian issue. So. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, um, guys, let's go ahead. Uh, let's take our first commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about mortgage rates. We're going to talk about ultra, in air quotes, ultra luxury condos, and we're also going to talk lumber, lumber. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll catch you on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Back in 1995, I got my real estate license, but I didn't practice for a number of years simply because I was writing about real estate as a journalist. 2006, I broke out and I launched a company called Condo Vultures. The idea was to try to use information, uh, data, and know-how to try to get the best deals on behalf of buyers. So if you are a buyer and you're looking for a deal, you're looking to try to understand the condo market in the Tri-County, South Florida area, myself or my team are here to help you to get a hold of us. Please call us at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the South Florida Distressed Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distress Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distress market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski of Condo Vultures. I have John Fackler, former uh, reporter over at the South Florida Business Journal. I have Jean Groose journalist for north of 25 years, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune, and I have financial writer David Lyons of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Uh, we talked about three stories uh, that could have an impact on the local economy and real estate market. Now we're going to talk about another three stories. And um, I think interest rates are on everybody's mind. They've been low for so long that some say have fueled what's been going on in terms of this housing market. So, Jean, I want to go to you because this is a very interesting story. It comes out of Market Watch headline. Mortgage rates soar to the highest level in months amid inflation concerns. And then there's a subhead. The market's outlook seems to suggest that the days of all-time low rates may be a thing of the past. Uh, first two graphs, John, before I ask you to comment. Mortgage rates flew to the highest level since mid-November this week, a worrying sign for home buyers navigating a market defined by fast-rising home prices. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged 2.81% for the week ending February the 18th, up eight basis points from the week prior. Freddie Mac's 
FMCC was down uh, 1.1, uh, 1.11 percent reported Thursday. The increase comes after three weeks where the 30-year mortgage rate stayed at 2.73 percent. John, if interest rates go up and property values are going up, how the hell can anybody afford to buy and finance it? Yeah, well, property values may go down as a result. Um, I mean, the Federal Reserve uh, and and the federal government are juicing, you know, juicing the economy, and uh, that's driving fears of inflation. And if there's something bond investors hate uh, more, it's it's inflation. It's it, inflation is a huge threat to bond investors, and what's happening is bond investors are selling their bonds and that's driving yields up. And of course, higher yields means higher mortgage rates. Uh, so many of our mortgages are tied to say the 10 year treasury. So that's been rising pretty fast just in the last couple of weeks. And um, so yeah, fear of inflation, driving up yields, driving up mortgage rates, and that's gonna affect property values. Um, going to affect, uh, you know, for every, it, you know, uh, I think the formula, the, the rule of thumb is, is that, um, uh, you know, every point interest rate increase uh, takes out a certain percentage of the market, the buying, the buying market. Um, I think you, you probably know that more than I do, but um, it's, it could be, uh, it could slow property, the, the rise in property uh, values and uh, make, uh, make home ownership more difficult for people no doubt about it uh david i want to get your comments but let me read a quote um from the piece as rates do rise affordability is going to become an issue for some buyers already a decline in the number of mortgage applications suggests that some americans have been priced out of the market as a record low supply of homes for sale has pushed prices higher boy david talk about a combination rates go up and lo and behold we might see this housing market uh, start to uh, lose some steam Maybe that's what uh, what the market wants to try to um, you know protect itself against a, a a repeat of what we had in the you know a decade ago. Yeah, I, I think I mean the question is you know how far was the pendulum going to swing, or how far <clears throat> into the basement were we going to go with these rates? So the last time I was on this program, which was when in December, I mean we were talking about interest and mortgage rates being in the threes, uh, you know, the high threes. And you know, I remember speaking with a mortgage broker, you know, he had a colleague who was panicking because, uh, I don't know, there was a glitch in the market and, the, and my God, the rates were going, were up around, were pushing four uh, for uh, refinancing, uh, which back then was really big. There were a lot of people who were stampeding to their lenders to refinance uh, uh, their mortgage or, or take out a loan to, uh, you know, remodel their house. Uh, because the rates were so low, and you know, 3.75, 3.5, and and most recently, I guess today's 30-year fix was what 2.8 percent, and that was up from 2.7. The 15-year was 2.2, uh, you know, for a fixed mortgage, and you know, um, eventually this had to stop. I mean, clearly, because uh, you know, prices uh, were going up, the, the supply is off. The um, building materials subject that we're going to talk about next, uh, you know, uh, the prices have been uh, also increasing, uh, giving a number of developers pause on, um, you know, you know when and if they're going to be able to build their next project. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, with these yields on the rise, um, uh, inflation is a concern now. Now, Jerome Powell is going to be uh, speaking twice uh, this week in Washington. Um, and he faces a dilemma, as CNBC pointed out, you know, rising bond yields could be signaling a reflation of the economy that the Fed has been pushing, and uh, they're therefore higher for good reasons. But if the trend gets out of the control, gets out of control, then uh, they might have to tighten policy faster than people thought. So it's uh, kind of a conundrum we're in right now, especially since we're on the cusp of laying out another $1.9 trillion in in money into the system <clears throat> that's going to uh, uh, you know be in the form of uh, unemployment benefits and, and a variety of other pieces of assistance that the Biden administration thinks we need. So um, you know, we're kind of at a crossroads right now, aren't we? I would say, I would say, David, we're we're going to stick with you for story number five. Let me tell a little story though before I go ahead and read this. Um, 
so back in their last condo boom in South Florida, there was a building that was put up uh, right across from Bayside Marketplace on Biscayne Boulevard in downtown Miami, north uh, of the Miami River. The project at the time was called Everglades on the Bay. It was a two-tower complex with about 849 units. Now, it was being marketed as being a, just a fantastic type of building. It had these units um, basically from the balcony. You would you'd look out and you could see this expansive view everywhere from Miami Beach to what's now known as Edgewater. You'd see um, Key Biscayne. You could see parts of Brickell, all that type of stuff. Well, what's interesting about that building is if you go in it today, um, you don't actually see the view of the water until you go on the balcony, even though you have a view or a, a unit that might be fronting the water. And the reason is, the cost of supplies went up so much that the developer had to make a decision. And rather than building floor-to-ceiling glass, they had to effectively build apartment-style uh, uh, windows. So if you go in an apartment building, you know how you got to go up to the window in order to look out and see anything? Well, that's what you have in this what would have been a high-end luxury condo because costs went up so much on the construction site. That building ultimately went BK, went into bankruptcy, got reorganized, and uh, ultimately was sold off to a group out of New York City. So that's just sort of the – I'm setting the scene for this next piece. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm telling you what happened last go-around um, based on, you know, my conversation with developers as well as the um, architects. So, David, this story comes out of CNBC. Headline, lumber prices top $1,000 for the first time as single-family housing starts to drop 12%. Three key points, lumber prices inched up over $1,000 per 1,000 board feet, according to random-length lumber futures for March. Who cares about lumber, right? Well, lumber might be a telltale sign of what's going on. That's double the price from just three months ago. Starts of single-family homes, which are most desperately needed, fell 12% compared to with uh, compared with December, according to U.S. Census. Now, David, let me give you the first couple graphs, and then uh, I'll ask you to comment. Um, not necessarily about lumber, if you want, but more so, you know, what this could be a telltale sign of. So, uh, consumers want more newly built affordable homes, but builders are finding that hard to deliver, especially as prices for uh, framing lumber spiked ever higher. Lumber prices inched over $1,000 per 1,000 uh, board feet Thursday morning before falling back to the, uh, below the milestone, according to the random length lumber futures for, art, uh, for March. The high of $1,004.90 is double the price from just three months ago and is a record. Higher lumber costs are likely behind a drop in January housing starts. Uh, starts of single-family homes, which are the most desperately needed, fell 12% from December, according to the U.S. Census. David, boy, is lumber, uh, you know, a telltale sign of maybe what's coming down the pike, or is this just an anomaly? What's uh, what say you? Well, it's hard to say because there's, uh, I was also reading where there's been an offset. Um, Canadian tariffs fell from 20% to 9%. Um, there has been additional logging capacity uh, kicked in uh, over the last month or so. And... Um, so, and also, there are new lumber mills that are coming online, according to a report I read somewhere. So, um, you know, the supply uh, problem might be temporary, but by the same token, um, you have to wonder how long these higher prices are going to last because, um, you know, interest rates are on the rise. Uh, the, as discussed before, the values or the market values of these homes are also headed northward. Uh, essentially uh, leaving a lot of would-be buyers on the sidelines. So, and but at the same time, there are a number of developers that, you know, I mean, down this way here in South Florida, there are uh, companies uh, that are buying up uh, golf courses and other pieces of vacant land to, uh, you know, put up uh, new single-family home developments, um, places like Sunrise, places like uh, – uh, you know, little strips of land, uh, you know, that somehow, uh, you know, developers have been able to identify and and put, uh, uh, you know, and put uh, new projects up. But, you know, how the, I, I guess the question in my mind is how that, how is that going to affect their timing? You know, they, uh, you know, they put up the money to buy the land. Uh, are they going to be able to build on it within a timely fashion to make uh, the economics work uh, for their development? So, um uh, again, it's another one of those uh, questions where uh, the duration uh, is kind of an unknown. Uh, but you know, perhaps these uh, um, you know additional supplies of lumber and, and reduced uh, uh, tariffs from Canada will uh, you know, help will help yeah, bring yeah, yeah. Uh, cost of materials down a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, 
John Fackler, let, let me go ahead and re, I'm, I'm going to read a quote out of the story, and then I'm going to ask you to comment. Quote is, builders report concerns over increasing lumber and other construction costs and delays in obtaining building materials, wrote Robert Dietz, the chief economist of the National Association of Home Builders. Rising interest rates will erode, will also erode housing affordability in 2021 as inventories of existing homes remain low. Um, Mr. Fackler, last go around during our last boom, if you remember, uh, it wasn't lumber people were talking about, it was drywall. Drywall suddenly you couldn't get your hands on, and as a result, the prices spiked, and as a result, you saw this massive amount of drywall being uh, being forced to be created in China. It led to some uh, unexpected consequences related to that, but, um, you know, is this, again, is this a telltale sign? Is history repeating itself, or is this time it's going to be a little bit different where some of these uh, these lack of or these shortage of materials or cost of materials um, ultimately is a telltale sign of what's coming out of the pipe? What say you, Mr. Beckler? Yeah, well, I you know, I think there's going to be um, at least a short-term uh, pressure here on uh, costs, and that may translate into higher prices. I think the timing issue is, is really relevant, as, uh, as David mentioned. Um, this is kind of a short-term, perhaps, uh, or even mid-term um, uh, pressure here. Uh, the fact that, you know, people are moving, or at least that's been what's been reported, people are moving out of the city into homes, they're going to be forced into existing because any new construction of residential homes may be put on the back burner for a while. Um, so I think that's that's kind of I think that it's it's going to hurt no matter even if it's a if it's an, if it's an anomaly, it's going to hurt the short-term building process here in South Florida. I think uh, long-term is a little different question. Like David mentioned, it's uh, kind of questionable if this is going to just play itself out. Um, the issues that are, you know, are creating these pressures, these cost pressures may resolve themselves uh, going into the next year. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, um, story number six. Uh, John Factor, we're going to stick with you. It comes out of the Miami Herald. Here's the headline. Sales of ultra-luxury condos are soaring. What does that mean for the rest of Miami? I would ask, what is ultra-luxury? Because everybody called everything luxury. So ultra-luxury must be especially good. So um, <laughs> let me go ahead and give you the first couple graphs. The days of driving past Brickle through half-dark condo skyscrapers may be coming to an end. A sudden explosion in the luxury condo residential market, which has quietly gone supernova and a growing uptick in condo sales to buyers priced out of single-family homes, suggests a lot of lights may be turning on. A surge in pre-sales in December and January at various ultra-posh projects under development in Brickle, Edgewater, Miami Beach, is another indicator of the new wave of wealthy out-of-towners opting to make South Florida the primary home for at least half of the year. What say you, Mr. Peckler? Are these ultra wealthy coming here to save the day in um, oversupplied condo market? Um, I don't know. Every, every time I turn around, there's a different story regarding the high end, uh, the luxury market. Uh, we're seeing a lot of celebrities, for example, we've talked about on the show, who are selling at a loss or they're buying at a, at a discount. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't. I see this as sort of a uh, maybe it's an anomaly. Um, it's a, a one-off here, one-off there, but I don't, I don't see any trends on the high-end uh, luxury markets that I could say that I've heard about. So, I don't know. I question, I question the premise of the story. <clears throat> got it, got it, got it. Uh, Jean, um, people in the real estate world, uh, they like to drive up or they like to beat the drum and talk about how things are going. Um, I'm looking at you know, uh, statistics in terms of the condo market, especially the uh, luxury condo market, you've got years of supply. Um, typically six months is equilibrium. Some people in the luxury market will say 12 months to 18 months is uh, is equilibrium. Uh, the story's not talking about any equilibrium here. It's just talking about the number of sales that are going on, and especially pricing that's being achieved. It's not reflecting whether or not the seller had to cut bait or reduce prices in order to get a deal done uh, in order to transact. Um, also, too, it, I didn't see anything about the pandemic and the density, living in a high-density building, uh, even if it is ultra-luxury, uh, if you will. So um, what uh, what's the usual? Yeah, and, and, and there's more coming. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – so the thing is, is that, is, is that you know, uh, uh, there's there's so much marketing hype, you know, and um, you know every every time you look at the news, there's like the proposed new uh, super duper luxury, uh, you know, superstar architect, uh, you know, branded uh, condo tower coming, and um, you know, there's the, all the supply, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much of it is like this, uh, 
hyping of the market and and you know it's very hard to tell sometimes um you know what's really going on but of course you know you you do a great job with your uh, weekly uh, condo market reports uh, shed a little light on on the oversupply in the market got it got it got it yeah yeah it reminds me a couple of weeks ago remember or a few weeks ago we had that conversation about uh, the football player the tight end from the Tampa uh, uh Tampa Bay Bucks there was a story t- talking about what a deal he got on the uh, on the condo um you know it was priced to what was it? i don't know 2.1 million he got it for 1.7 million something like that so i mean there was a discount that obviously applied so this is sort of the push pull um you know i guess what i would tell the listener is real estate is going to be recorded in clerk of the court records check it out don't believe all the hype that uh, the, the realtors are telling you um you know that's what they do they eat what they kill so if they can beat the drum and create a momentum and uh, uh, and move deals, it's only after the fact that you go ahead and you figure out exactly uh, how much you paid and whether or not you overpaid. It's not uncommon for us to go through and, uh, you know, basically try to underwrite a building, you know, analyze everything in there. And you will see such a price discrepancy per square foot in units that are right next to each other, one above the other. You know, so everything you would think is going to play out systematically, that's not how it works, especially with high-end condos. So I would tell the listener and the potential investor, go ahead and do your homework and don't listen to any of this stuff you're, you're hearing. Use government records. Somebody might be lying to the government, but if they do, they got to take it up with them versus uh, maybe something you're going to see in the multiple listing service, which is a database used by realtors where information is entered. There's no real pushback in terms of the accuracy as uh, a recent case um, uh, sort of uh, uh, put on display. So, let's uh, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. This is Peter Zaliski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Hortus, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortis at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, cvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else is. If you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. I got David Lyons, a financial writer with the Southport of Sun Sentinel. I got Jean Gruss, who runs his own public relations marketing firm called Gruss Communications after a 25-year career in journalism. And I have John Fackler, used to work over at the Southport Business Journal. Right now, he does public relations and marketing. So, um, guys, this is where I'm going to ask you to sort of uh, go out on a limb and make a prediction about something that might be coming down the pike as it pertains to the economy or the real estate market or just sort of the way we live down here in Southport. So, um, John, let's start off with you. John Feckler, what say you? What should the listener watch for? Um, I'm very curious about the confusion uh, surrounding the supply of the uh, COVID vaccine, particularly after what happened this past week where Texas had the big freeze and it slowed down everything from manufacturing uh, of the of vaccine to transportation and I'm starting to wonder, I mean, that was a major deal, but uh, apparently it, uh, it, Fauci and others had had admitted that, yeah, it definitely slowed down the vaccine distribution um, as well as manufacturing. So if that, I mean, it was a big deal, but if that's one incident where the supply um, of the vaccine has been hindered, what's going to happen, let's say, if something else happens or something else? And, you know, Fauci was at one point, um, saying that we should be getting back to normal by Christmas time, um, and this was just within the last few weeks. Now he, you know, now you look at the situation and you wonder: Is it really going to be back to uh, 
basically normal. Again, normal is, you know, what's the qualifier? We don't really know what that means, but you know, relatively normal. We will be able to go to restaurants and everything else. I predict that this is a uh, sort of a lofty prediction, and Fauci's usually very careful, but I believe we're looking more at mid, maybe the end of uh, uh, second quarter of 2022 before things get back to normal, only because, you know, I think the underbelly has been exposed of the vaccine situation, um, of the supply and getting it, getting the vaccine into arms. I think it's going to take much longer than predicted initially. Wow. It, interesting, Mr. Beckler. Um, I want to do a victory lap, and right now I have my hands in the air, and I have the V sign in both hands, much like um, our friend Roger Stone out of Fort Lauderdale, uh, <laughs> because we did a podcast, and we were making predictions about 2021, and Mr. Beckler, you thought the economy was coming back, and everyone would be vaccinated by the second half of 2021. Now you're coming into my camp saying 2022 is actually when we go back to normalcy. Very interesting. Would you like to respond to that? I was hoping that you wouldn't bring that up, uh, <laughs> but you are correct, sir. You are correct. <laughs> One of my lofty predictions has gone sideways here. <laughs> anybody who listens to the podcast knows that John is he's not always right. Let's put it that way. Now, somebody who is does seem to be always right is John. John, uh, what what's your prediction? What's coming down the pike? Yeah, my my predictions only come true on your show, not in real life. Uh, I just want to predicate that. Uh, so my prediction is the leg, the Florida legislature is uh, will be back in session next week, and they are going to save and revive Visit Florida, the state's tourism arm, which was um, basically on life support and was going to be sunsetted by 2023, because if you remember. Uh, they had some scandals involving uh, the Miami uh, singer Pitbull. Uh, do you remember that? When they he got a secret $1 million contract to promote uh, Florida. And um, the scandal that ensued uh, pretty much uh, was the death knell to visit Florida. But now with COVID um, and the need to help uh, our friends in the hospitality business, I think the legislature this year is going to fully fund visit Florida and they're going to um, they are going to take away the the sunset provision that essentially would put the agency out of business by 2023 so in a strange twist of fate um, COVID is saving uh, Florida's uh, marketing tourism arm visit Florida interesting interesting okay all right so let's see how that plays out um Mr. Lanes, uh, what uh, what do you see coming down the pike? Well, I my comment uh, relates to the allure of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a uh, method of uh, transacting business in municipal governments. And I think that a certain municipal government, uh, a great metropolitan city here in South Florida, is going to encounter some trouble if it goes down the path of partially or fully paying its employees in Bitcoin because as Janet Yellen, uh, the former Fed chief and now on the on deck to be Treasury Secretary, said, uh, she doesn't feel it's a transaction. It's, it's a widely used transaction mechanism, and it's very inefficient, and that um, it's often used for illicit finance. And as a result, uh, a city such as uh, the great city of Miami might be biting off more than it can chew or perhaps inviting uh, some trouble uh, if it opts to go down this path. Interesting. That's that's very interesting. Mainly um, because of the uncertainty of the transactions and, uh, you know, the many pitfalls that people have uh, encountered, uh, in particular over the last four or five years, through missing, missing Bitcoin, uh, disappeared Bitcoin, uh, forgotten passwords uh, for wallets and on and on it goes. It just sounds like a, a jungle that a municipal government should not get involved in or should not enter. Huh. Um, my uh, prediction, it has to do with some of these people who are overstaying or not paying their rent. We talked about the uh, foreclosure moratorium, uh, and there's also an eviction moratorium that basically if you haven't paid your rent, and, uh, uh, and you're stuck in the place, therefore uh, the landlord can't necessarily kick you out. Well, turns out what's going on in Miami-Dade County, some of the commissioners, our uh, city and county, 
they're trying to get the police involved, and they're claiming some people don't actually have the right to be living in some of these homes because they're not specifically on the lease. So they're calling them squatters, and they're trying to get the police to go ahead and basically remove, physically remove some of these people from their uh, accommodation. So what is my prediction? My prediction is as we go forward, you're gonna, going to see some gray areas or some people trying to push the limit, thread the needle, if you will, in terms of trying to remove some of the renters who are now being deemed squatters from their place and yet still stay in compliance with, uh, you know, President Biden's uh, 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 moratorium. Uh, so, so in other words, I think it's going to be a clusterfuck. I think a clusterfuck is coming on the, the, down the pike, and I think there's going to be a gray area, and there's going to be a lot of litigation involved. And why is all it coming down the pike? Simply because landlords uh, are running into trouble. They're not able to pay their mortgages and all the other fees that are associated with it. Uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back, that uh, close to 50,000 people, according to the Miami Herald article, or evictions had been filed in the state of Florida, and that was from March and through December of 2020. That doesn't include any part of 2021. So my prediction, again, is that we are going to start to see some people push the limits related to evictions, uh, claiming that squatters uh, are, should not be on the property, and therefore the police need to get involved. So stay tuned. Um, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into the comment section. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney, whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest, or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you. To get a hold of me, please uh, reach out to peter at condovultures.com. That's peter at condovultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I got David Lyons. I have Jean Gruss, and I have John Fackler. This is a time when you, the listener, can um, ask a question, compliment, criticize, spout off, uh, you name it. We want to hear from you. Send an email to inquiry at com. I at Um We're now going to have uh, John Fackler read the comments, and then uh, we will uh, respond. So, John, what do we got? Okay, we have a comment from Ruth uh, in Weston. And um, Ruth says uh, she was wondering if you have transcripts of your podcast posted anywhere. Uh, he's, she's a much faster reader than a, a listener. She loves your straight talk and uh, insights into the condo market. So um, maybe, Peter, maybe you could refresh our listeners um, to your most recent condo market analysis. Sure. So, so every Monday I do something called a condo market analysis where basically I do a statistical deep dive into a part of the, uh, the condo market down here in South Florida um, based on data that, uh, that, that we went ahead and, 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 and compiled. Um, so, Ruth, you're asking about the trying to get a transcript. Well, what I will tell you is there are services around. We've been quoted uh, from what I've seen. And keep in mind, our podcast tends to be about an hour or so, and our kind of market analysis tends to be about 30 minutes or so. We're looking at a dollar a minute for transcription. So, um, I mean, I guess potentially we could go down that uh, that path. At this point, we, we just – we, we, we haven't done it. Um, if anybody else out there is interested in uh, transcription, why don't you just let us know. If we get enough people who are sort of requesting it, maybe it is something that we'll, we'll sort of um, uh, experiment with. It's not extremely costly, but then again, um, you know, you really want to do it if it's just going to be like a one-off here and there. So um, so, so w- w- if I can, if I'd ask the listener, if you want to see transcription services or uh, some sort of package uh, available, why don't you go ahead and send us an email at inquiry at condovultures.com. Mr. Fackler, do we have any more comments? No, that's it for this week. All right, all right. So um, that's David Lyons of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He's a financial writer. He's been a journalist for north of 40 years, and uh, probably say he was at one time was my boss. Learned a ton from him. David, any parting thoughts uh, on the way out? Well, uh, there were there have been some articles out there about uh, a potential economic boom. Um, you know, if this uh, 1.9 trillion dollar um, aid package goes through, and if uh, the vaccines uh, are more effectively distributed, and 
which in turn leads to more people going back to work. Um, there's a lot of great upside for enhanced GDP at, uh, for the second half of the year, and it's uh, you know talk about a wonderful prospect. <laughs> but I I don't know. It's uh, there are an awful lot of uh, potential potholes in the road. <clears throat> Um, you know, we'd all like to see a uh, uh, a snapback uh, economic recovery uh, uh, starting with uh, you know, starting with uh, the second year of uh, the pandemic, and it's uh, not too far away. Um, you know, it took down the economy in mid March and of uh, 2020, and <clears throat> but there's obviously a long way to go. Um, you know, there's going to be an awful lot of uh, work to be done, I think, to Reskill, uh, that's a bad term to use, but to retrain the workforce because a lot of their jobs uh, are gone for good. And um, uh, a number of businesses uh, are going to have to be recalibrating, you know, how they do business, um, you know, ranging from where people are going to work to uh, uh, the type of customers they're going to serve. So, um, they're, so as for, you know, those boom predictions, um, you know, they're probably a little, uh, early right now, but uh, it's certainly something we can all hope for. Absolutely. Um, then we have Jean Groose. Jean used to be a journalist for north of 25 years, did a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Right now he has his own public relations marketing firm called Groose Communications. Mr. Groose, any parting thoughts on the way out? Boom and bust. That's the story of Florida. So <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm watching. That's what I'm watching for. I mean, look, all this uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus is going to have unintended consequences. And I think we really need to be very careful about uh, inflation. I mean, you're already seeing it in everything from lumber. We talked about lumber, but gasoline and all the commodities. I mean, um, so there, there's going to be some issues there and just need to be aware, you know, just need to be aware. Definitely second that motion. That's right. That's right. And then finally, that was John, or is John Fackler. John used to work as a South Florida business journal where he covered white-collar crime as well as publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now, he does public relations and marketing uh, when he's in a good mood. Any parting thoughts, on Mr. <laughs> Fackler? Listen, cautious optimism is the theme, I think. Uh, just, uh, I think I can't improve on uh, David's uh, message of optimism. I think he's got a nail, and that's what we'll be looking for. All right. And I'm Peter Zalewski. I want to remind you, if you're not a subscriber to the Reporters Roundtable or any of the Common Vulture podcasts, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and a comment. The more ratings we get than comments, more likely we are to go ahead and spread the message and help us to accomplish our mission, which is trying to bring straight talk to an overhyped, extremely overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have any comments for us, we'll read them during the Reporters Roundtable on Wednesday. Send that comment to inquiry at com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, get inoculated, and until then, ciao, ciao.